0: Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage Next week marks 70 years since the end of the Second World War and the war in the Pacific These past few days I've been thinking about the men I've interviewed over the years from different countries who were soldiers, prisoners of war both here and in Japan or who struggled to survive as civilians here Most of them are no longer with us and I raise a glass to them all this week, I talk with Ron Taylor, who's put together the Arthur May story, Hong Kong, 1941 to 1945. Ron met Arthur May a number of times before he died in 2000. This is a story of how Arthur erected the British flag on the peak at the end of the war, at a time when it was no means certain that Hong Kong would be re-established as a British colony after the Japanese military occupation.
1: As yes, Arthur came as a, as a young child, rather interesting is rumour that her his mother married below her station. The marriage wasn't very popular with the family, but the problem was solved when Arthur's father, George, uh, who joined the army, uh, he was posted uh, to Hong Kong. But I've discovered that he, he was actually posted to Gibraltar, first of all. Uh, spent, spent a short time in Gibraltar, uh, where Arthur's younger sister was born. And then they moved on to Hong Kong. When they came to Hong Kong, it was Arthur was... Just growing up, so he probably didn't know anything about his previous life. He regarded himself as a Hong Kong person through and through.
0: Prior to the the outbreak of of war or the the Japanese military invasion of Hong Kong on December the eighth, nineteen forty one, did he have, was he doing anything militarily before that?
1: He had joined the uh, the Hong Kong uh, Volunteer Defence Corps as a cadet. Uh, this in his early years but, but i think probably most significantly uh, he'd been a very keen scout and as such in those days uh, scouts went everywhere in hong kong and new territories as a result he knew every single path hong kong island kowloon and the new territories he was also a very very keen swimmer uh, holding uh, ver- various records and incidentally uh, he complained to me a number of times that the cross-harbour swim was no longer done, as, as he had won that in his earlier years.
0: Oh, really? So you're a very, very good swimmer. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, a good swimmer, um, but um, and a, a good athlete generally. Well, first of all, he was at school on Stonecutters Island, the army school. Then his father left the army in 1919, and... Uh, that meant that Arthur then had to move from the army school. He went to St. Joseph's College, where he, he completed his education. He was then indentured as an apprentice to Hong Kong Electric, where he learnt a lot of his electrical skills. And incidentally, he also became an electrical instructor to the uh, to the scouts, one of his uh, many little qualifications. From then, uh, having got his, uh, completed his apprenticeship, he saw there was... A, a swim in Canada, uh, in Ontario, and uh, he went to Ontario and joined this marathon swim. He got quite a lot of publicity in the press prior to the, the swim because there was this boy from Hong Kong coming to take part in this uh, mammoth Canadian event. He stayed on in Canada for a short while, working for the Niagara Electric Company, and then moved to England, uh, where he joined the army, uh, the Royal Engineers. And I suppose this is... Goes back to what his father had, had been. He's in the engineers for, for a while, left and joined the Aldershot Borough Council as uh, their electrical department. By about 1937 38, he's getting itchy feet and had been married by this time and decided to return to Hong Kong and got a position in the electrical mechanical department in Hong Kong.
0: So Arthur did in fact, Arthur May um, did in fact have. Um, some military training. I mean, obviously, Hong Kong, it would be Hol- Hong Kong Volunteer Defence Corps, but also Royal Engineers.
1: Uh, yes, Royal Engineers. Uh, uh, he was in uh, the anti-aircraft group, which was uh, a fairly early stage at that time, or uh, well, anti-aircraft experimental group. But his uh, military training, I think, kept him in good stead. Uh, but he was never uh, what we regard as, a, as a, a true soldier. Uh, coming back to Hong Kong as part of his duties in the electrical, mil- mechanical department uh, he was involved in the communications for the, the central uh, secretariat and this is the command center uh, which then took command of hong kong uh, after the japanese invaded uh, so he was uh, with the uh, near near to the the governor with the chief uh, secretary or colonial secretary as we called then franklin gimson so as a result uh, by being there he obviously heard what was going on, but he was responsible for repairs and maintaining communications uh, to that centre.
0: So, yeah, it's interesting in, in the research that you've done for and talking to Arthur May before he died in 2000, uh, for your the Arthur May story, um, that initially, I mean, he is interned later on in the occupation, but not initially.
1: No, it's interesting, uh, he wasn't interned initially, and... Uh, uh, various stories about this. Soon after the uh, Jap- uh, Hong Kong surrendered to the Japanese uh, he was asked to go uh, to Queen Mary Hospital to re-establish the uh, electricity and water supply uh, because Dr. Selwyn Clark, who is responsible for the hospital, was concerned that without water and electricity to the hospital many patients would die. Arthur, using his knowledge that he'd gained when he'd worked for Hong Kong Electric years before, managed to re-establish both the electricity uh, using a generator and and using the generator to pump water from a stream. And at the same time, uh, he provided water to the uh, dairy farm cattle. And as a result of that, the, the cattle were saved. When the Japanese heard about this, uh, they realised they had a, a, a saviour in Hong Kong and he was basically rewarded for that by, by not being interned. He was, however put under house arrest and uh, told to find accommodation, which he did uh, in, this, in Sassoon Road.
0: So he was put under house arrest?
1: He's uh, under house arrest, uh, but it's a fairly loose house arrest. He seemed to be able to move around fairly freely. And this was until um, August 1944, at a time when the third nationals, uh, these are the people who were uh, sent from uh, from countries which were not at war with Japan. Uh, South Americans, uh, nationalists, nationals and others, uh, they were all interned and Arthur was interned at the same time. Uh, uh, in Stanley? Uh, not in Stanley, no, in uh, uh, Mataway Mata camp, uh, which had initially been called Matachung camp near the old Kai tak, and this camp was used for the, for the third nationals. And interesting, Dr. Selwyn Clark, the director of medical health, health services, uh, who turned out to be or became a great friend of Arthur's in subsequent years, uh, when he was released from Stanley jail uh, he was sent to that away camp. I'm talking with Ronald
0: Taylor, the chairman of the Royal Hong Kong Regiment, the Volunteers Association. Um, he's written, based on his interviews with Arthur May and some previous academic research, um, he's written the Arthur May story, Hong Kong 1941 to 1945, the man who raised the Union Jack over Hong Kong after four years of Japanese occupation. So, I mean, in terms of... Um, Arthur May himself. I mean, what sort of character was he?
1: He was very forceful uh, in in his views, and I think this is what led him to do the things he he did. Uh, He maintains he was very uh, a great patriot of of Britain, and uh, this was why uh, he raised the Union flag uh, on the peak. Uh, He was keen, uh, uh, as was as were a number of others that Hong Kong should remain British uh, with the Japanese surrender. At the time, there were rumors uh, of uh, 100,000 nationalist troops north of the border waiting to take over when the Japanese left. Uh, There was also that they knew that President Roosevelt was keen that Hong Kong was returned to the nationalists. People like Arthur and very definitely uh, uh, as Selwyn Clark were keen that Hong Kong remain British. And what better way of doing this uh, than putting a Union flag, Union Jack, on the peak, the highest point of the Hong Kong Island, to demonstrate that Hong Kong was now British uh, and had been under temporary Japanese occupation.
0: Where did you get the Union Jack? Uh,
1: The Union Jack was was found uh, in early 1942, There are various accounts of exactly where it was found, but they they all come to uh, west of Hong Kong Island, uh, somewhere in the Bisney Road area. And this is where, almost certainly, when Arthur was either reconnecting the water supplies and electricity supplies to Queen Mary Hospital or to Dairy Farm, and this is, say, the area where he was under house arrest. Uh, But there are three separate accounts of how he found the flag, but they all came from that area. They were from abandoned military posts and and he says the British military left in a hurry, uh, unable to take things with them, they left behind the flag. They also, he also had a smaller flag uh, which he raised, well, took with him into uh, the, the Matterway camp when he was interned, which is a very risky business. The smaller flag, the second flag was raised in the camp after the Japanese surrender, which caused quite a lot of consolation with the Japanese who ordered it to come down, Uh, but Dr. Selwyn Clark said no, we don't take the flags down until the hour of retreat, which in Hong Kong is half past six. He then received, a few days later, a formal instruction from the Japanese commander that the flag was not to be flown.
0: But they weren't in charge anymore, were they?
1: Um, The Japanese were were still in charge uh, because nobody else was there to administer Hong Kong. And this is where Arthur... Uh, again came into the fall. The Japanese surrender came somewhat quicker than I think people realized. And nobody in the, uh, had really got in place any provisions for Hong Kong's liberation. Franklin Gibson was the most senior civil servant, but he seemed reluctant to take charge of Hong Kong. Uh, and uh, I suppose in a typical civil service way, he said he hadn't the authority to do so. He hadn't received instructions from the Secretary of State uh, in Britain, uh, Arthur May uh, was patriotically British, and uh, he and uh, certainly uh, Dr. Selvin Clark uh, uh, in the camp, uh, were concerned that uh, Hong Kong should remain British. He had already demonstrated this by raising the flag on the peak, uh, uh, and it was now the question of the time of somebody taking over. Uh, to maintain uh, Hong Kong as a British uh, colony. This was sold by Arthur May uh, volunteering or being requested, I, I don't know quite how it came about, uh, uh, making a trip to Macau uh, where uh, he was able to contact Mr. Reeves, who was the UK's consul uh, in Macau. Uh, uh, this was a, a fairly difficult trip. Um, the various waters around Hong Kong were still Uh, mined and occupied by Japanese ships, uh, and also pirates. He managed to arrange, uh, uh, through uh, the Hong Kong Imachi Ferry Company, as it was then, uh, a sampan. And this set off uh, to Macau uh, with Arthur, uh, and uh, uh, got as far as Taiyo when they encountered pirates. Various accounts uh, thereafter how Arthur continued. But the sampan came back to Hong Kong, and Arthur continued in the pirate's boat, uh, to Macau You're kidding. uh... are well this is uh... there are two, two stories about this and that certainly the pirates come into it and just quite whether he persuaded the, the pirates willingly or whether he uh... commanded them uh... by brandishing his so-called pistol at them uh, i think the former is more likely that he he persuaded them to take him to Macau and and paid them off he arrived in Macau went to see mr reeves who then sent a radio message or a message by Either radio or undersea telegraph uh, cable uh, through to the embassy in in Lisbon, and then from uh, Lisbon, who were in contact with London. The response authorising Frank and Gibson take over was radioed back to Hong Kong because Hong Kong could receive messages, uh, but couldn't actually send messages. So Arthur maintains uh, it was his actions which meant that Frank and Gibson got authority to take over. Uh, Hong Kong, and Hong Kong thus remain British.
0: There were also other groups, such as the British Army Aid Group on the mainland, who were active in helping Hong Kong to remain British. My thanks to Ron Taylor, who's put together the Arthur May story, Hong Kong 1941-1945. Thanks for listening, and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.